everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Emily. And I'm Paige. And we are two crows spying on two vampires, spying on two vampires who also get visited by other spying vampires. And you're listening to Tuesdays Are for Twilight. What's good this week? Um, well, I just went to the eye doctor. They told me, diabetes-wise, great. No issues with your eyes. Vision-wise, mm, yeah, you already know. I'm I'm definitely a girly who, if modern eye medicine wasn't a thing, I would have died at age three. <laughs> Could you ever get LASIK slash would you? Yes, actually. I So I was under the impression that that was a um, type of procedure that like older people got, like as your eyes degraded that that it was older individuals. And then I brought it, I mentioned it one time at the eye doctor a couple years ago. I think I was like 21. So much, a few years younger, you know? And the doctor was like, actually with the way that your vision is, you would be a really great candidate right now if you ever wanted to pursue that. Like, I think it would have a really good effect on your eyes. And I'm like, oh. Okay, well, I that's fine, I guess. But I have thought about it. Super cool. I kind of like the accessory of glasses, though. Is that weird? No. Here's what I will say if it makes you feel better. My brother-in-law had LASIK done, like, four years ago. So he would have been, like, 25. So you're not the only one. Also, But also, I think he got his done because he's, like, extreme military hunter tm so i don't know if that has anything to do with it but if you did get it done you could still wear glasses just fake ones that is true i don't know i don't know what this is about me i i cannot explain the reason behind it i think it's i think it's the thrill of self derogatory humor um i don't know if that's a thing but i kind of love when it's like a party trick but not a trick at all when I'm at a party and someone comments on my glasses looking thick or like hey let's all trade our glasses around and see what everyone else's prescriptions are like and I love that mine are horrible and make people want to throw up immediately it's like yeah I'm that blind haha like I'm so quirky I don't know I I think it's fun to just have these thick glasses it's just a hoot to me I just feel like it's part of your brand, and I support it. I like that. Branding myself as very cannot see far away at all woman with a fat ass. Here's what the internet age has taught me. You can brand, you can rebrand or brand anything to be good. I love that. And that's why at Ford, we care about people dying of the pandemic. So our F-150s are $50 off this month. When you're here, your family. It's Ford Truck Month. Olive Garden. <laughs> I had a question for you driving home from work today. It just kind of came to me out of the blue. Well, not out of the blue. I was listening to a Snapchat from you. <laughs> Sometimes when you send me really long Snapchats, I just plug it into my car speaker and I just listen to it on my drive home. I love that. Anyways, so you were t- it was it was it was about uh, your mortuary work, but then the question occurred to me: Have you ever been called to like a crime scene? Slash, would that be a regular mortuary person to remove a body that's like te- like potentially been murdered? I so I'm gonna say no, I haven't, and no, I don't believe that's our job. I think in that case, there's. And I I don't know for sure, but going off of what I know about the death care industry and just paperwork wise and what I know about true crime, my thoughts are that police show up, do their own forensic gathering, document everything, take photos, whatever they got to do on their end of things. And then basically the coroner shows up and it might not be the coroner. It might be like a special subunit of the police that does that but if whoever it is the body probably gets transported to straight to the coroners and then the coroner will do an investigation as to cause of death basically and then we pick them up from the coroner's office gotcha okay so you're involved towards the end 
Yes, and I have been, uh, I have helped someone who is the victim of a homicide, but we weren't, we weren't called to the scene at all. And we just basically did what comes next for the family. Yeah. Well, thank you. I was very curious about that. In other news, our Eclipse watch party for patrons and donors is coming up. The people have spoken, so we are going to do it on Saturday, July 16th at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. We will remind you all of that in a couple weeks because it'll be closer in a couple weeks. And while we're on the subject, we have a new patron to welcome and thank. What's up, Caitlin? Thanks so much for joining. Caitlin, I love your orange hair. (laughs) Assuming that's you in the picture. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and also assuming that if that is you, that your hair is still orange. If at one point you had orange hair, we liked it. I probably still like it now, even if it's not. True, true. Um, So yeah, so you still have time to get on that. And we will tell you all the ways in our spiel at the end of the episode. See, that's for you people who want to skip ahead. They're like, we know, you say it every episode. (laughs) I genuinely wonder if there are people that when we start doing the spiel at the end, they just sign off. Because usually that's what I do when a podcast starts. Like when it does the end part that they do every week, I stop it there. And I wonder if there's people, if you're one of these people, now you know. I wonder if there's people who don't know that I say something absolutely bonkers, zong zong insane at the end. (laughs) Unhinged. Just the most unhinged thing you've ever heard every single week. The the sentence that I say at the end is the human equivalent of like an eight-year-old that they found living in the woods with bears for like the first eight years of their life and then them coming into modern society. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> and on that note, that's not related at all. But what do you have for recommendations, Corner? Should I go first? I can go first. So my recommendations corner is both it's food and action related. And I have seen some talk of this on TikTok. I feel like it's getting a little traction, but I can say because I've done it before several times, if you are a fan like I am, like a big, huge honkin' fan of movie theater popcorn, there is absolutely nothing stopping you from just going to the movie theater, getting movie theater popcorn and going home. That is actually so true. Um, you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> what? I had this friend, I won't say her name just in case, but in college I had this friend and I would often stay with her on breaks because she lived close to our college town and I did not. And one time we went to a movie in Minneapolis and on the way out, we, it was like a late night movie. And so then on the way out, they were like closing up and everything. And she saw a giant bag of popcorn just bagged up but sitting in the trash but bagged up it was like basically sitting on top of the trash because it was so big and she grabbed it and took it home and ate it for the rest of that school break 100% amazing 10 out of 10 story I'd love to meet this friend I think we'd get along swimmingly I do too (laughs) that also reminds me of at Chipotle and I can say this now because I'm no longer employed so I don't I actually, well, not that I really gave a fuck to begin with, but I have no issue maligning the company now because nothing's at stake. But just so you know, at the end of the night, we, regardless of what Chipotle says that they're about, we threw away a lot of food. Um, And one of the things that we threw away every night, regardless, was all of the excess chips. And I remember one night distinctively that we had made a bunch of chips close to close because it was like, everyone was getting chips and we were running out of chips and we're like, okay, well, let's just make some. And then like right after no one got chips. So we had like probably like 70 bags of chips just that were getting thrown away. And so we had a big garbage bag that we put a bunch of the chips in. And as we were walking out to the dumpster, this homeless guy was like, Hey, like, do you have anything that we could have? And we're not supposed to do this, but what the fuck is Chipotle going to say? There's no cameras outside. And also like, we're throwing it away. It it can benefit someone. So we just gave him the the bag full of 75 bags of chips. And I got to say, that was probably, I, I bet that was so exciting. Can you imagine just getting 75 bags of tortilla chips for free? That, like, that is such a great snack. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Why are you not supposed to do that? And also, does Chipotle say they don't throw away food? They just, they tout a lot of like, oh, well, we set up programs at all of our stores to donate as much food as possible. But like, the wording of that doesn't, doesn't, like, they do that, sure. But they're not really trying that hard. Like, we threw away quite a bit of food. And I mean, maybe other stores had programs set up that they were able to donate everything. But like, I don't know if they didn't care or if just there were no programs in the town that I live in that would do it. I don't know. But we threw away a lot of food. Yeah, I bet other stores also don't do it. I have no trust in corporate America for that because of capitalism. And also because I just looked down at the floor and Malcolm's little head is like, it's just his eyes. That's all I see (laughs) staring at me. Anyways, um... And then also I just looked into the hallway and Mila's out there staring at me. Okay. I worked at a zoo in my hometown. You can do the math if I've said it before. I won't say the name of the zoo, but honestly DM me and I'll tell you because I don't give a shit. And they had signs everywhere about how green they are. They're actually a private zoo, which is pretty rare because most zoos are funded by the city. They're like a city park. But this zoo is private and quote-unquote non-profit. However, the owner is a billionaire, so you decide for yourself. But anyways, they had signs everywhere about how green they are, sustainability, you know, like they always talk about animals and giving back to the environment, blah, blah, blah. I know for a fact, because I worked there, that all the recycling, of which there was many bins throughout the zoo, went straight into the dumpster with all the regular trash. Do with that what you will. Anyways, so my recommendation is also food. It is a family classic. Like, this recipe is a family classic. And my mom's famous for it. And my sister just made it for me yesterday. And she sent me home with some, like some leftovers. And you know my ass when I got home from work today. I sat and I ate almost the entire container, which is not good for you, but it's fine. So this is called butterscotch salad. And yes, we get flack all the time for calling it a salad. I don't give a fuck. It's a lot of materials mixed together in a bowl. That makes it a salad. So it is instant butterscotch pudding, cool whip, mini marshmallows, and Heath toffee bits. Like, what's inside Heath bar broken into bits. It's fucking crack. It is so good. I can picture what all of those taste like, and they all go together. It all is a 10 out of 10 for me. It's so good. You're supposed to mix the Heath in, which you do, but then I also add it as another topping. <laughs> a little crunchy crunch on top. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. What if... You also added like some chopped up Rolos. That's like a chocolate and caramel combo. And maybe, maybe, this might be where I lose people. A sprinkling, very light, a dusting of salt. I could see the salt, especially if it was like bigger kernels. Mm -hmm. However, I'm allergic to chocolate, so I will not be adding the Rolos. So for the Heath bar filling, how do you get that then? It's literally like the inside. It's not, the outside is chocolate, the inside is toffee. But how do you get it? That's what I'm asking. It's, you buy it. It's like buy the sprinkles in the store. Oh, they sell that? Yeah, it's called Bits of Brickle. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but Brickle sounds right. I know, and it's, uh, it's not Bits of Brickle, it's Bits O Brickle, O apostrophe Brickle. I mean, this is this is changing everything. I mean, you could put that just on top of ice cream. I'm saying it's always at my mom's house. Inevitably, she'll make this and she doesn't need the whole bag. So she'll put it in the cupboard. I will find it a month later and I'll put it on top of literally everything I can eat. I mean, I wouldn't blame you, but I would love a bit of brickle right now. I could eat some right now in front of you, but I won't. I only have a few left. I'm sparing. Okay, so we read our second section of Brie Tanner this week. So we're basically about halfway. 
True. What did you think of this section, Paige? Like I predicted, we got a good, not a good, but a better look at Freaky Fred. I love him. I stand by what I said in the first episode. I still think we would be great friends, even if he made me throw up. I think he's a cool guy. I love him a lot. Two, new romance, baby. We got some hot kiss action in multiple places. We got some clink, clink kissing via um, Riley and her. We also got some clink, clink kissing via Diego and Brie. I mean, this must be super exciting for Brie. I, I think that she's she's living her best life. Really great for them. Three, we have a twist here. Not, not necessarily a twist, but th- what you had mentioned about the movie, how um, the Volturi had kind of orchestrated everything. While it's not that per se, when you read Eclipse, you kind of are under the assumption that this is brand new information to Jane. Clearly it's not. Clearly it is not. And it makes me wonder what the fuck was going through Bree's mind at that scene. Because, like, there's no way she didn't recognize the voices or, like, the people, you know? I bet we're going to get to that point in the book and she's going to be like, oh, my God, those are, their pe- those are those people. Why didn't she say anything in Eclipse? Like, I... I'm really interested to get to that interaction now when Jane shows up. Like, I want to know what what's going on in Bree's head. Totally, totally. And can I just say, for the first time in doing this podcast, me, the woman, was too stunned to speak. I completely forgot about this. Legit was probably as shook as you were because I totally forgot about it. I feel like maybe subconsciously I remembered it. Because when we were reading Eclipse, I was like, I don't know, I think the Volturi know what's up. I mean, they literally did, and I just forgot. (laughs) I was shooketh. Also, I feel like Brie doesn't say anything. This is just a prediction on my part. Because Jane is literally, like, torturing her with her power. That is true. That is very true. And also, I have a suspicion that... There's just a very interesting hierarchy of power here. Like, you can very clearly see Bree and Diego are underneath Riley, who is very clearly underneath her, Victoria. I kept, for some reason, I was about to say Josephine. Who the fuck is Josephine? I don't know, bro. I don't know. But then also, very clearly underneath what we know is the Volturi. And it's like, it's not discreet at all. The hierarchies are very straightforward and plain. So for Brie to have to talk to this fourth level up superior vampire, and also she's terrifying and is torturing her, I can definitely see that point of view. 100%. Yeah, totally. But I am also excited because I... Part two, the woman was too stunned to speak. When you said, I can't wait to see what Bree's thinking when we see Jane later. I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot we see her later. I um, I think that this is also because, so this book, correct me if I'm wrong, was published after Breaking Dawn came out. Right. Oh, man, I guess, yeah, because the introduction. Yeah. Um. So if you were reading this when it came out, canonically, you would know what happens in Breaking Dawn. I don't know what happens in Breaking Dawn, but obviously you would have some knowledge of like the Volturi's intentions and just how bad they are and stuff like that. This is just a a quick look into their deceit and just the desire to take out the Cullens. Like, I think that, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's kind of showing their hand a little bit t- towards me that, like, yeah, they were okay if the Cullens were going to fucking die. That seems to be, like, their bottom line right now. And, I mean, maybe it's just Jane and cohorts, but, like, I feel like they wouldn't just go on their own to deal with this. To me, I feel like Arrow sent them out to do this. So it kind of shows that they're not on the same side here. And we we knew that from Eclipse that, you know, the Cullens don't really trust them, but they respect them so that they leave them alone. But it'll just be interesting to see, like, 
when Bella gets changed, it will that end the contention? And if not, why not? What else is going on here? Right. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Well, first of all, yeah, I think Carlisle would most be shook because he, I think, kind of considers Arrow his friend. I don't know. I like, I think that he, just the vibe that I get, it's like, like the friend that you see when you go to Target and it's like, you know each other. So you have to say, like, you know each other enough that you have to say something, but neither of you really want to talk to each other. It would just be like weird to not say something and keep moving. Like, I feel like Carlisle is okay with them, but doesn't really want to associate with them given kind of what they're about like he wants to distance himself from that side of vampirism but like he's not going to be a dick to them he'll still like have a face of you know coolness but I don't think he wants to hang out with them okay that's fair yeah what I was going to ask you is why do you think because you're right this shows like how much the Volturi just want the clones to die (laughs) Why do you think that is? Like, what do you think is the root of it? Well, I think, and I, I know I mentioned this in Eclipse at some point, I think that there is a, a hint of jealousy or just vampires who are quote-unquote vegetarians, you would think wouldn't be as strong or as powerful or as, I guess, like, united. I don't know. I don't know the word for it. Maybe united. Um because there's just so much power in human blood, it makes you so much stronger. So for Arrow to have built this whole empire and monarchy, I guess, I don't know, of these strong ancient vampires, and then to see Carlisle have this huge family that's cohesive, they work together, they, I don't know if they love each other, but like, they're still strong, they've been able to take out enemy after enemy, and they don't have to kill anyone. I bet he has this feeling of jealousy, and if you add on top of that, the whole family has all these superpowers, Arrow wants that, that's that's been something he's been interested in uh, interested in since he has been introduced as a character. So maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's jealousy combined with wanting the Cullens for himself. Maybe he doesn't care if they don't get along. He just wants their powers in his clan. I think it could be any of those things. To me, Arrow just seems very self-aware and... Um, vain I don't something something along those lines arrogant that I could totally see jealousy being the driving factor okay thank you (laughs) all right let's cover the the plot so where we left off Bree and Diego were kind of they had just discovered the whole thing about the sun and how it doesn't actually burn them like Riley told them And they're kind of, they were debating on, like, whether or not he knows and what to do with that information. So they leave Diego's little hidey hole cave thing. And right out the gate, top of page 50. Actually, bottom of page 49, which is the first page we read. Top of page 50. Diego grinned at me, his face beautiful with light. And suddenly, with a deep lurch in my stomach, I realized that the whole BFF thing was way off the mark. For me, anyway. It was just that fast. For this, I wrote Ode to be 15, because that is accurate. I can pinpoint the exact times that I developed a crush on two different people in high school. I can tell you literally the exact moment, what classroom we were in. Couldn't tell you the day. I could tell you the time of day and what they were doing that made me fall in love with them. So true, Bestie. (laughs) She's just like me, for real. Okay. So after Brie has this little revelation, almost said relevation, that's not a word, they know that they have to go find the rest of the clan, I guess, I don't know what to call it, because, you know, it'll seem sus if they don't find them soon, because it's nighttime, right? No, it's not nighttime yet, but they're going to go find them before it becomes nighttime. So it takes them a while to track them down, because they could be anywhere, um... But then finally they end up finding them. And then as they're kind of 
walking in. They're talking about whether or not they should confront Riley with this information. And Diego's like, basically they agree in the end that Diego will do it because he knows him better. So they're planning on doing it like tonight when everybody gets sent out for the hunting party. And then they decide that they're going to act like they don't know each other so that it doesn't like give them away. They're just going to act totally normal. So they go in separately. And everyone's kind of surprised that Diego's not dead because they just assumed that like both him and Bree had roasted up in the sun when they didn't come back. And Brie goes and hides behind Fred, like she does. And right away, as soon as they get there, Raul starts up some shit with Diego. And it's looking like they're gonna, it's a fight's gonna break out, which obviously for vampires is different than like a human fight, because then somebody could get their arms ripped off. Um, sorry, I skipped over one thing before we go into this fight. Almost fight, I should say. On page 55, Brie is messing with Diego and she says, hey, I don't even know you. I haven't had one conversation with you with all that water we sat in, the, in all day. So basically just talking about I've only known you for a day, but then I was thinking about like how I was dragging her for falling in love with it. I mean, I'm not dragging her, but it's just funny. But then I'm like, if your life is this short, I mean, they don't know it's going to be this short, but it is kind of like dog years in that way. Like a day is a long time. Yeah. I mean, I guess, and they never sleep too. So it's like, everything is like a little bit longer. So I don't know, maybe that works against what I'm trying to say. I don't really know. I don't really know. You can ignore what I said. No, I, I get where you're going with it. I, it almost explains to me why Edward is so insane. Because I just feel like my brain does its best work when it's sleeping, which sounds insane, but it's not. I feel like I solve a lot of problems in my sleep. I wake up feeling better about things that I felt terrible about the day before, you know, like, it's, it's recovery. And so vampires do not have that. And you could argue they don't need it. But I, I counter argue, have you ever heard Edward Cohen speak ever? I know it's not true. But you know that one scene in Spongebob where Squidward's like, look at these bags. Even my bags have bags. And then it's, it's like a really detailed picture of Squidward's face looking just decrepit. That's kind of what I picture Edward's face looks like, like with the eye bags of just never sleeping. <laughs> and Bella's really into that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to this fight that's about to break out between Raul and his little goonies and Diego. They're just, it's just like so dumb. I don't know why Raul likes or dislikes Diego so much, maybe because, like, he thinks he has some sort of power because he's, like, kind of in with Riley. But he's like, I don't care about beating you. I just want to end you. Blah, blah, blah. And then he says, my two goonies will take care of the other evidence of your unfortunate survival. Lil, what's her name? Meaning Bree. Um, and before, the, right before this, Bree has basically, like, gotten into fighting position. Like, she has gotten off her spot on the couch and is ready to defend Diego. And Fred must have noticed this because he picks that moment to make everyone get the fuck out. <laughs> he turns up his power to 11 and a bunch of people run. <laughs> I know that it's insinuated later on that he, I mean, maybe it's not. But I feel like it was insinuated that he was purposefully trying to help Bree in the situation. I like to imagine that it was 100% not that. He was just like, can we shut the fuck up for like five goddamn minutes in this house? Do not come fucking close to me. I swear to God. Because he knows that Bree's back there. Like, I don't, I feel like he, it would just be so fun if he's like, don't even come close to this couch. This is my couch. Stay six feet back, let's social distance, or I'm going to make you throw up until you, until the day you die. <laughs> I mean, that is Bree's original assumption. Because she has this moment where she's like, oh my gosh, Fred just saved my life. Why? And he, and Fred says, keep it down. I'm on page 60. 
So Fred just wanted his peace and quiet. Well, whatever. I was alive because of it. But then, when he says sorry to Brie for being stinky, she decides maybe he actually was, like, kind of trying to help her out, which is sweet. I, the backstory I've written for Fred, clearly, first of all, I'm going to address that I am obsessed with and love so much that Brie reads the books and then she puts them on Fred's side and then he reads the books. And I just love that. And so I'm imagining what we know from the Cullens and from maybe Twilight, I think, I don't know. Um, Vampires with superpowers have something when they were humans that just gets amplified as you become a vampire. So I, not to like be me, I'm not trying to be mean to Fred, but the way that I might interpret this power when you were a human is that he may not have had a lot of friends. People may have just not liked him or not wanted to be around him. And so in his mind, maybe he just assumed that he like repulsed people. And then as a vampire that manifested itself physically as the ability to repulse people. And in his head, no one likes him. Everyone tries to stay away from him and he sort of leans in. And then there's this one girl who doesn't care. She, not that she's going out of her way to be friends with him, but she's fine being close to him. She's not repulsed by him. In fact, she leaves her books for him so that he has something to do on the couch. And I feel like he really needed that and really, really appreciated that. So I I feel like maybe he's embarrassed that the power also affects her, but he he did what he had to do to protect her, to show his appreciation of her. Yeah, I mean, I think that's canon, what you just said. Like, I completely agree with it. I also love that he's hot. Like, she notices that he's hot. And I'm like, that is an interesting twist. What do you think Fred's power would be like to humans? Like, would they just simply pass away? <laughs> Not to reference Spongebob again, <laughs> but you know the episode where Spongebob eats that ketchup sundae and he has bad breath? You know when he, I think he's at the movie theater and he says something and the guy, the blue fish, his face like goes sideways and he's like, Ugh! I kind of picture that. Or... In Indiana Jones, when they open the, I think it's the Ark of the Covenant, and people's skin melts off, and then they're just skeletons. That's kind of what I think it is. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> he doesn't even have to, like, kill, like, break their necks or drink their blood. He just, like, is around them. Sad. Okay, so, recalls time by skimming through her books. You know, her and Diego are just trying to make it to the end of the day so that they can confront Riley. Well, so Diego can. So finally, when the time comes, Riley sends out certain people in hunting parties, but it doesn't really matter because everyone who wants to leave goes out anyway, which I assume is everyone, because if you've been sitting inside all day doing nothing, you probably just want to go do something. And so Bree slips out on her own, and then Diego catches up with her. And... They make up a plan for, I don't really understand, this is this is the car crash for me. I don't really understand how this works, but they make up a plan where Brie follows him, but somehow her scent isn't detectable. I'm like, uh, that math ain't mathin', but okay. I, what I, maybe I completely misinterpreted it, but I kind of just thought that they were, like, Diego was going to go first and go a certain ways. So, like, let's just say Diego went 50 feet. And then later, Brie was going to follow the scent and then stop, like, 30 feet away. And then from what I thought happened, Diego just jumps and comes back to where Brie is. So his scent goes forward that amount, and then hers only, like, it stops at a certain place. So if you were following the scent, it would look like, Brie was following Diego but didn't want to be seen like she was 
keeping back a ways so that he, it makes it seem like they're not in it together, that she's following him. Oh, so they're okay with her scent being detected, just so that not in partnership with his. Yeah, I th- what I thought they had discussed was like, if anyone questions it, you can say like, you smelled my scent, so you started to follow me, and then then that's that's where the story ends. I, I don't have anything else from there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah, we'll see how it went over with Riley, maybe, in the next chapter. Or not chapter, but the section. I will say, though, you know, if if it doesn't make sense, you know, we've gotten this far with things not making sense, so we can we can do it. We can keep going. Totally. It's not like I'm like, well, I'm quitting this book now. <laughs> this is where I draw the line. Yeah, really. So they decide to follow Riley, who seemed like he was in a big hurry. And unfortunately, we find out why. My note for this is literally, do you ever want to die? <laughs> and this, this honestly, I had no guesses as to what the clink, tickle clinking was. No, no idea. But when Brie decided to choose the words that she chose to describe normal kissing, no, you didn't have to. Why'd you choose those words, Brie? I hated it. <laughs> Me too. And also the fact that they're like in a weird gingerbread house. Like, I, what was the, what was Stephanie thinking here? Like, what was the point of that? I'm literally, I know it's not, it's not that, but you, did you ever see Midsummer? No. There's, so there's a triangular shaped building in it that's like in the middle of a clearing with nothing around it whatsoever. That's what I am imagining. Like, there's nothing else around this house. It's just, like, the mountains and grass and whatnot. I'm like, why is this here? Why does it look so bizarre? Same, but in my imagination, it's literally made of gingerbread, and then it has, like, gumdrops taped to the roof. (laughs) So, it's clear that they're just making out, which was an interesting choice, and maybe a Mormon choice. Because realistically, I mean, let's get real. Why aren't they having sex? They're adults. They're adults, but I, first of all, Brie mentions this later on, that it doesn't sound like two people who love each other. It sounds like a boss and an employee. So in my head, Victoria is girl bossing right now. She is... She is playing Riley so hard. She has to make it just believable enough for him that he goes along with things. But her true love is Liam. James. James. Her true love is James. And everything that she's doing right now is to avenge him and get her revenge. So I just don't think that she is willing to dive this deep with Riley. She just wants to use him. And I feel like also I could totally see her like looking down on him, using him as another pawn in her game. So in a way it is keeping her on top by not giving him the pee. Wait, what? Think about WAP. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, you're spot on tonight. I feel like that is 100% accurate. No notes. It's the eye dilation drops. They've unlocked my third eye. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> okay, so poor Diego and Bree have to sit in the tree and listen to this. If it's me, I'm out of there. I'm like, this ain't worth it. Peace. Not an, Not enough fucking just too much clinking yeah way too much clinking and also I just feel like I would witness this happening and I'd be like oh they're gonna be real mad if they find out we are here let's leave yeah yeah I like if Riley found out which maybe he will I don't know but if Riley found out like that kind of like throws away the whole plan like if one of them knows how long before all of them know yeah, true. Um, Bree has a brief flashback to the night that she was turned, 
And I just pointed out simply because it did not occur to me that Victoria might be bad at turning people. But in Bree's flashback, she says, this whole night has been a waste. I've killed them all. Which I was like, oh, shit, I never even thought about that. I never thought about it either because, I mean, we've only ever seen it as, well, we, honestly, we haven't really seen it at all. It's just the effects of it and the description of the process, you know? And the only, like, kind of parallel to it was when Edward had to suck the venom out and he was able to restrain himself. So to me, this is an interesting way to show that Victoria isn't as strong as the Cullens, you know? Right, or maybe, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's probably more normal. For a vampire. If you haven't been resisting human blood, I'm sure it's extremely hard to just start doing it. Yeah, that is true. That's a good point. So Victoria and Riley are talking about the army. And he tells her that there's 22. 21 we find out because someone's burning. Anyways, she's basically praising Riley for doing a great job. And, and Riley's like, Okay, well, is it time to go? Like, they don't really know what that means, but we know he's asking, is it, is it time to attack the Cullens? And she says, no, I haven't decided when. I don't understand. You don't need to. It's enough for you to know that our enemies have great powers. We cannot be too careful. But all 22 still alive, even with what they are capable of, what good will it be against 22? Sis... You've got a big storm coming. Anyways. Um, so they don't really come to a compromise on when they're going to be going. As we know, that's because, well, and Victoria says it later on in this section. She says she can't make the decision directly because then Alice will see that it's coming. It really does put her in a a compromising position like this is a good strategy in theory but like you know the Cullens have several days of preparation knowing this whereas when Victoria decides it's time they got to do it like right then so like she doesn't have any time to like critically think about things or be like okay well when once we start like this is what we're gonna do because once once those thoughts start happening the Cullens are gonna know. So, like, time is so much of the essence in Victoria's side of things that, like, yeah, it, w it would be really fucking hard to pull this kind of a thing off when someone knows exactly what you're doing and have, has six days to plan for it. Right, and the whole time she's trying to conceal that it's her, right? So she's kind of trying to use Riley as, like, the decision maker, almost. Exactly. So then... Out of nowhere come the Volturi. How long into this description did, were you like, oh, fuck, it's the Volturi? As soon as I heard black capes, I was like, Volturi. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I wrote in all caps on my notes, well, I'll be damned, because I completely fucking forgot about this. I also am curious if they, I mean, they had to have, right, noticed. Okay, well... Bree and Diego are far enough away that they can hear Victoria and Riley. Which means Victoria and Riley could hear them if they were making any sound. I guess they're not. So do you think Jane is like, who are those two randos in the tree? I wondered that quite a bit. To me, with how skilled the Volturi are, it didn't, it didn't seem feasible that they didn't know. But maybe they just knew that, like, they weren't worth the time. Like, I I feel like Jane suspected that either the Cullens were going to die and then they were going to kill all the newborn vampires or the Cullens were going to live and they were going to kill all the newborn vampires. Like, that's probably the reason why they are here right now is to deal with this situation and while you know they're close by to the Cullens great let's kill two birds with one stone pardon my pun so in maybe in Jane's mind it's like well these are these two are gonna die anyways so 
it's not worth doing it right now. And if we do it right now, then that's two vampires less that will fight against the Cullens. Right. Okay. Okay. It's kind of risky, though. Now, like, thinking about what you said about how Bree, like, would would recognize Jane's voice. I mean, Jane had no way of knowing that Bree would be the one to survive because she, like, surrendered or whatever, but it is kind of risky because they are... They are lying to the entire vampire world. Yeah, they are. I mean, I guess it is possible that the Volturi just don't know. I guess it's possible. But in my mind, I imagine they knew but didn't think that it was worth their time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know what to think. It is very, very risky, though, on their part. But... I can totally see the Volturi having an air of um, con- condensation, no, condescendingness. Um, Tina's playing with a little ball toy. <laughs> I don't want to stop her, but I'm like, can we not? Um, like, I feel like they they would 100% think like, well, we're better than these people. We're stronger than them, so we don't have to worry about it. They do have the, the that guy, Dimitri, on their side, too, who, like Edward has said, can track down anyone. So, like, if they had these little messy pieces still out, they could just track, like Brie, they could just track her down, you know? That is true. And I don't know. I don't know if they would know this or not, but, I mean, Riley and uh, Victoria are really keeping the newborns in the dark. So maybe they're kind of, like, relying on that to help keep them sort of on top in this situation. Right. Yeah, that's true. So it seems like the Volturi's visit is brief, but basically Jane is like, we want to know what your intentions are and if they have anything to do with the nearby clan. And Victoria's like, yes, I want to destroy them. Basically. I mean, she doesn't say that, but it's implied. And then Victoria explains about how she's been careful not to make the decision because of Alice's power. This must be so confusing to Brie and Diego because they have no idea who they're even talking about. So I feel kind of bad for them. Yeah, I I think this also plays into what I mentioned earlier that like the person that you took to be in charge isn't the person in charge. The person that you then were like, oh, that's the person in charge is now not the person in charge. So already there's some crazy shit going on. And then it's like, hey, also let's throw, I mean, they knew superpowers kind of existed, but it's like, here's just a bunch of things that have to do with that all at once. Right. And they already found out the lie about the sun. So it's like, everything's a lie. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to take in in one night. It is, it is. So then Jane says, Unfortunately, your period of deliberation has come to a close. You must decide now what you will do with your little army. Otherwise, it will be our duty to punish you as the law demands. This reprieve, however short, troubles me. It is not our way. I suggest you give us what assurances you can quickly. And then Victoria tells Jane that they'll go as soon as possible. And then Jane says, five days, we will come for you then, and there is no rock you can hide under or speed at which you can flee that will save you. If you have not made your attack by the time we come, you will burn. And if I have made my attack, our creator asked, shaken, we'll see. I suppose that depends on how successful you are. Work hard to please us. And then the Volturi leave. Um, that Jane's little comment there makes me feel less like this little group came on their own. Because, I mean, I'm assuming it's the same group that came to the fight in Eclipse, which I think was Jane, Dimitri, Felix, and we I think we guessed that the other one was Alec, because there was a fourth that we didn't know. But the way that she says, this whole thing is stressing me out, it's not our style, like, makes me think, like, then why would she do it without permission? Yeah, Jane definitely seems like the type of person to 
kill and then deal with the consequences later. So having like that tactile team, that would be what they would do. They would just kind of come and do the business of killing and move on. So having to like give the t- give them the the few days to allow them to make a move like that. It's like it's it does sound like someone higher up has a game plan for this and it has given them instructions and Jane is like can't we just kill them now? Come on. <laughs> this begs the question. Do you think these four got a hotel in Seattle and just chilled out? Or did they go back to Italy? What is the best thing to do in Seattle? Like, what's, like, some fun tourist things? I don't know. Listeners, if any of you are in Seattle or have lived in Seattle, let us know because I've never been there. Also, the events have to take place at night. And people have to be okay with be people with red eyes. So let us know if you know any activities like that. I'm just picturing them clubbing, and it's funny to me. Honestly, it kind of sounds like Volturi style. (laughs) Yeah, true. So after all this, of course, Riley's in a hurry to leave and get his little army ready because he only has five days. So then Diego and Brie are like, oh, fuck, we got to get out of here. So they start running away. And then Diego's like, you know what? I'm going to double back. I'm going to wait for Riley and I'm going to confront him. I feel, I just feel like this is dumb. I don't know. What do you think? I'm like, Riley has bigger fish to fry. Like, why do you care about this now? Now is not the time. Why not do it tomorrow night? Like, the information is still going to be the same tomorrow night. Why not do it at all? Because it's clear that you, I mean, they literally referred to you and everyone else in the house as an army. Like, why does this part of it seem so urgent to you? Brie makes probably the best point in this whole book coming up, like, in the next page or so. I feel like that's the point that should be taken right now, honestly. Yeah, I mean, we can go right to it. Um, well, when they part, they kiss. It's corny, you know. It's Stephanie Meyer, TM. It's how she rolls. They clink, they clink. <laughs> okay, so... Bree runs back to the house and tries to act normal, but she's, like, fucking freaking out because she's wondering if Riley's just going to kill Diego because he's mad. And um, Fred's back on his bullshit and is protecting Bree from, like, people literally can't even see her. Like, she notices that Kevin is trying to look for her, but, like, keeps, like, his eyes keep skipping right over her. So her and Fred have a little moment where they smile. It's nice. Um... So then Brie has had this thing bothering her for a bit. And it finally, like, it's like when you can't remember the other lyrics too. Like, you have, like, one lyric in your head and that's all you can remember. And it's bothering you for, like, days. She, her thing is, why didn't we just leave when we found out we could? A.K.A. when we found out we could travel during the day. Which is what I fucking said. Although you had good points on, like, they probably could track them. But Bree seems to think that that wouldn't be an issue. Because she's like, eh, they, they wouldn't worry about it. I don't know if she's right. I kind of, I mean, maybe it would be different with Diego. Because he seems to have some sort of a relationship with Riley. But if Bree skedaddled, I do not think that anyone would have cared. I think that she could have got away scot-free. That's actually true. She is planning on telling Diego this plan and just, like, kind of going for it whenever he gets back, if he gets back, which she's very nervous that he will not return. And then she briefly mentions to these other kids, like, other members of the army that Riley had told everyone had burned up in the sun because they didn't make it back in time. Do we think they escaped? I mean, why would he lie? Like, like they could, he, if they had died via, like, if Riley had killed them, or, like, if something like that had happened, or Victoria had killed them, he could have just said, like, they, they didn't obey orders, and I punished them and killed them. And, like, 
they would have believed that I feel like, you know, like he wouldn't need a reason to use a lie. I mean, I guess the lie helps keep them under control. It helps reinstate the fake rules that they have made. But like, I feel like being like the boss and threatening them probably would have worked too. So to me, it's like the only reason that he would lie would be to cover up a truth that he doesn't want them to know. I love to think of, what is it, Shelly and Steve just out there living their best vampire lives in fucking Timbuktu or something. I mean, maybe maybe they'll come back in Breaking Dawn. Who's to say? Who is to say? Um, so that that's kind of Bree's theory for why. Because I think she assumes now that Riley knows about the sun and is lying to all of them. And her theory is basically like, which is a good one, I think, that like if he had told them all that they could be out during the day, like they probably like a lot of them probably wouldn't come back. They'd just be like a lot harder to manage. Like he can keep he can supervise them much better when they have to be under his watch for half the day. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and with newborns too, if there was no restriction, that would be terrible. They wouldn't have any of them left. And like, they would be doing all kinds of stuff while people are out and about. Yeah, true. She says vampires wouldn't be a secret for very long. Even Raul couldn't kill people fast enough to keep the story from spreading. She's picturing, like, Raul being out there sparkling. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And Brie is right on the edge of figuring out that, like, the Volturi are the cops. She's right there. It's like, but she, then she gets distracted and she loses her train of thought. But I'm going to read. This is, like, on the second to last page that we read for this section. So she's thinking about this chain of logic. One, humans didn't know about vampires. Two, Riley encouraged us to be inconspicuous, not to attract the notice of humans and educate them otherwise. Three, Diego and I had decided that all vampires must be following that guideline or else the world would know about us. Four, they must have a reason for doing so, and it wasn't the little pop guns of the human police that motivated them. Yeah, the reason must be pretty important to make all vampires fight all day long in stuffy basements. Maybe reason enough to make Riley and our creator lie to us, terrify us about the burning sun. And she's like, she's right there. And it's literally, I mean, the reason is that the Volturi will fucking kill your ass. Yeah, I mean, it really shows. I mean, maybe, maybe Brie is much smarter than all the other ones. It's kind of led, the the reader can kind of assume that given how stupid all the other characters seem to be. I mean, I guess really Kevin is the only stupid one we've met, but I kind of just assume that most of them are just kind of out of their minds right now, only focused on newborn vampire things. But like she figured that out in like 24 hours. Like if all of these vampires actually like took the time to think about stuff and now granted Bree and Diego have seen things that the other vampires haven't seen. But it has literally taken them less than a day to figure all this shit out. Like, what if they all figured it out and then turned on Riley? Yeah. I mean, that could be another reason why he picked the ones that he picked to try to turn. Of, like, people who haven't had homes or, you know, just, like, for example, Raul, who, like, I'm sure Riley sensed that he would love, like, some power, even if it was, like, empty and didn't really matter. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's pretty much the end. Bree's thinking about all this and she is freaking the fuck out because Riley and Diego and or Diego have not returned. I did I miss anything you wanted to talk about? Mm-mm. The clinking was was my main area of focus. I'm done with the clinking. <laughs> For next section, you're gonna read through page 135. So what do you think is popping off next? Hmm, well, here's the thing. Brie was at the fight, so it doesn't seem like she tries to get away. Or if she does try to get away, it's not successful. And it's unclear when Diego dies. It's unclear if he dies in the war or the battle itself, or if he dies beforehand. It's really hard to say, but I can't imagine that if Diego were to be killed beforehand, 
that she would go to the battle, I feel like she would try and get away. So I feel like there's going to be, maybe Diego is really going to try and talk with Riley and get to the bottom of things. Maybe Riley will sway him one way and then he'll in turn end up swaying Bree in some way because I feel like now Bree is like on Diego's side and wants to like do things with him and trust his judgment on things. So I'm just trying to think like how she would get to the battle because she doesn't really seem that committed to it now. She's like, why don't we get away? Maybe she's going to run that idea by Diego and he's going to be like, no. I don't know. We'll see. I, it's hard to say, it's hard to make predictions. Cause like there's six days. So there's going to be something. I want to see what Riley is going to, I want to see what Riley is going to do next. Now that he knows that they got to do things in six days. What, how is he going to, how is he going to pose this to the group? How is he going to get them to do all this? I remember from Eclipse that Brie tells Jane that, the reason that they all got there was Riley said they had stolen. Oh, they stole the clothes. Maybe, maybe there'll be something like that. They're going to smell Bella's smell. And Riley has told them we're going to try and find this human. She's going to be with a bunch of vampires. Whoever can kill her first gets the blood. So there'll be that conversation at some point. I don't know if that's going to be the day of the battle or beforehand, but there's going to be some some shenanigans with Riley because he has to sway them to do this. So we'll see. Yeah, it was very interesting. I am excited because as you heard earlier in this episode, I also don't know what's coming. I mean, you know, we know the general direction of where it's going, but. What are your predictions then? I remember bits and pieces of this. I can't believe I fucking forgot about the military and the gingerbread house. Wild. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Riley's just going to use, like, tried and true tactics to rile a crowd up. Like, I feel like he's going to be like, they're coming for us. They want all of us dead. They're mad that we're eating their humans or whatever, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I guess we'll see. So we got two episodes of this left. And then we will have the week of our Eclipse Watch Party off. So we will remind you of plenty until then. We will take a week off in between Brie Tanner and Breaking Dawn. But until then, we hope you are enjoying this little novella with us. It's kind of fun. It's like moving, it's moving quick. It's moving quick, and it's nice It's nice to know that there really aren't a lot of surprises. I say that even though there was a surprise in this segment, but, like, I know what the outcome is going to be. And it's kind of reassuring in a way. You don't live in fear. Yeah. Well, enjoy it for the next two weeks, because you will live in fear once again. <laughs> she slams her book shut. Okay, Skippers, it's your time to shine. I'm going to tell you about our socials. So you can visit us on all of our socials. We love to hear from everybody. We love to get memes. We love to get your thoughts on the episodes or the content that we're reading. Just anything. Share share what is on your mind. So we are on Instagram and Tumblr at Tuesdays After Twilight. We are on Twitter at TaftPod, T-A-F-T-Pod. You can email us at TuesdaysAfterTwilight at gmail.com. And if you want to be part of our Eclipse Watch Party, Paige, this is the first movie that Paige, conscious or not conscious, has never seen the full thing. We stopped partway through. So it'll be very exciting. You know, we'll have the chat open. You'll get to hear Paige's live reactions. Well, read Paige's live reactions. I've never even seen someone be decapitated. So, you know, it'll be exciting. (laughs) So if you want to be a part of that, there are several ways. Um, If you've already sent us proof of a, do- of a donation to move to higher ground in the past since we've had our podcast, you are in. If you are a patron, you are in. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash Tuesdays After Twilight, and you can support the Quilliot's efforts to move their cultural land to higher ground, and you can find all that information and donate to them at mthg.org. 
And we are also accepting donors to the families in Uvalde, Texas. And the link for that is on all three of our social media profiles. Um, it's in our Instagram and Twitter bios. And then on our Tumblr, it's just linked in a post. All right, skippers, hope you're back. Paige, what's your unhinged thought of the day? People, we are made up of molecules and elements that everything on this planet is made up of. We are made up of this planet. So here's what I want you to do. Embrace, embrace the side of you that might have plant DNA. Get inside the dirt. Stick your roots out. Absorb nutrients. Try your hand at photosynthesis. I mean, you've never tried it before. It could be good for you. Don't be afraid to let your roots spread out and just absorb the nutrients in the soil. Eat fertilizer. Don't eat fertilizer. That will poison you. But me metaphorically, eat some fertilizer. Water yourself. You know, stay hydrated. And that's what I have to say. You have completely lost your fucking mind. Was it when I told people to eat fertilizer? Yes. <laughs> we'll see y'all next week for part three of Brie Tanner. Bye. Bye. Our amazing intro and outro music was performed by Danny Plowman and produced by Alberto Beltran. You can follow Danny at Danimal6, and that's six the word, not six the number, Danimal6 underscore on Instagram. Bye.